Well, this is Current Yield, Grant's interest rate observer of the air. And this crackly voice belongs to me, belongs to Jim Grant. And I welcome you on behalf of the great deputy editor of Grant's, Evan Lorenz, and our indispensable sound engineer, Henry French. And um, today we have with us the convexity maven, as he is known far and wide on Wall Street. That's Harley S. Bassman, whose California license plate reads C-N-V-X-T-Y. And we'll hear all about convexity. We'll hear all about life not being a dress rehearsal. We will hear that sizing is much more important than price, ordinarily. And we will hear that uh, it may not be a coincidence that when financial markets implode, short convexity can be found lurking near the scene of the crime. All that's to come in just one moment. Evan Lorenz, um, what, what do you make? You know, we had, we had the most strangest occurrence here in our neighborhood yesterday. And uh, we did not hear the bang, but we did hear about a half an hour's worth of sirens. And it turns out uh, that a garage built to house the Model T buckled under the weight of like, like Harley's car, cars like that. Yeah, it's just not up to the uh, Ford F-150s and SUVs that we uh, drive around today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we shouldn't laugh. I mean, it it yeah. involved a fatality. It was a tragic thing, but it was so, so strange. Every single siren on the East Coast seemed to be converging. And we were in the middle of closing an issue of grants, and uh, as usual, everyone was, uh, I at least, I can speak for myself, I invariably have a, a terrible case of stage fright and angst on deadline days. It's never going to be good enough for the readers of grants, or never going to be, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I was not really listening for the sirens, but they would not not be listened to. It was just overwhelming. So anyway, Harley, welcome to Current Yield. Thank you very much. Uh, glad to be here. Um, and, and I will say that um, you are the best financial writer on the planet, and, and I have uh, borrowed, stolen from you as much as I possibly can. So thank you very much. Well, Harley, thank you for that generous... Co- you know, I, sh- I, should, I should come out and disclose it now. This is not an arm's length transaction in that Harley Bassman is going to be appearing at the uh, Brands Conference this coming fall. It's our, if you can believe it, Harley, I'm only 28 years old myself. We are nonetheless having our 40th anniversary of Grants um, come, uh, what's the date here? Oh, okay. The date is uh, October 3rd. Are you going to be there, Evan? I think I will. I have yeah. my accounter clear. Harley, you're going to be around, aren't you? October 3rd? If there's free food, yeah, sure. Okay, good. I wanted to uh, ask you, you know, uh, we have uh, stolen from you extensively, I hope, uh, from time to time with uh, an accurate spelling of names and uh, mathematical symbols and the like. But I wanted to, um, first of all, acquaint the listeners to uh, your extensive career. Just a brief stroll down memory lane. Harley was uh, 26 years at Merrill. He had stops at uh, Credit Suisse at PIMCO, and now he is a managing partner at Simplify Asset uh, Management. He is the father of four human beings and of a volatility index for bonds. That's the move index. And he is the author and father, I guess, of, a, of an ETF that is designed to forestall the dilemma, indeed, the disaster that uh, overtook uh, Silicon Valley Bank and others, this great interest rate hedge that uh, debuted Harley. I think we're coming to the second anniversary of the listing of PFIX, P-F-I-X. It's in May of 2021, no? That is up. correct. Sure. Yeah. Okay, so um, Harley, you are, uh, you made your career at identifying wrinkles and non sequiturs and uh, and other uh, flaws, inviting opportunistic things in the markets. Do you see anything in fixed income at the moment that strikes you as actionably um, unusual or incongruous? Well, I mean, I mean, clearly the, the, the yield curve is the wrong price um, unless the world's going to end tomorrow. Um, and um, I, I think all of, all of my clever ideas right now revolve around you know, the anomaly of a severely inverted curve. 
Um, as, a, as, as a step back, I would say that when you look at the you know financial landscape for investing, you really have three risk vectors you can work with. Duration, which is when you get your money back. Credit, which is if you get it back. And then convexity, which is how you get it back, because uh, convexity is a is a nonlinear path dependent kind of concept, and um, the inverted yield curve makes makes investing extraordinarily challenging now because to the extent you take more risk, you get lower yield. It's kind of backwards uh, unless you know rates fall dramatically tomorrow. The other opportunity right now uh, is convexity that it's priced very richly, and we can uh, talk about. The implications for that, I suppose, in a few minutes. Yes, I tell you what, let us begin with some definitions. Tell us about uh, convexity, uh, Harley. You have, I mean, it's not by accident that you are the convexity maven, but I think for many people, convexity is still a mystery. And, you know, you, you should know what it means, but uh, I think some people don't and perhaps are reluctant to ask. So I am, I am asking, please help us in a few simple words understand this before we get into its application. What is convexity? Well, it, it, it does seem when you put X's and Z's, into uh, into words or, or you use Greek letters that tends tend to be rather challenging and turn one turns one head off. Convexity is actually a very simple concept. It just means that the gain or loss is not linear, non-linear returns. What does that mean? If you have an ordinary bet, coin flip, in theory, you make one or you lose one, depending if it's heads or tails. If you had a bet where if you won, you made two points, but if you lost, you lost one point. Well, that's a pretty good bet, right? It's not linear. You make two, lose one. That's positive convexity. You make more than you lose for an equal odds bet. Uh, negative convexity might be you lose three, you make two. That's negative convexity. Um, the market looks at things like this and says, well, we can't give all three of these bets away for the same price. So we have to go and adjust various securities to, to act accordingly. And so when you have a negatively convex security, lose three, you make two. If a straight riskless one-to-one asset like a treasury yields 4%, a negatively convex one's going to yield higher, period. has to, because if they both yield four, you'd take the, the other bet. The magic on Wall Street and why we hired so many physics PhDs in the, in the 80s and 90s was to go and figure out, well, the one-to-one bet yields 4%. The lose three, make two bet yields more than four, but it should be four and a quarter, four and a half, five. I, I, I don't know. Well, we could use math and other toys to try to figure out the fair price for that. And thus comes this concept of OAS, option adjusted spread, which I'm not going to go into now. But that's basically the that's the, the way we try to make, make it a fair game. So, so uh, all, all three instruments would be uh, offer a similar you know, risk return profile to people. So, but anytime you don't get a one-to-one bet, it is convex. That's all it means. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Harley, when you began speaking, you said um, your first statement was that the yield curve is the wrong price. Now, the yield curve is certainly inverted where short-term uh, notes are actually out-yielding long-term bonds. And this has happened before. I think Cam Harvey's work has showed that uh, the inversions have preceded eight of the last eight recessions. How is the curve priced wrong today and what is the right price? Well, I'm not going to argue the bond market per se because I'm a bond guy and, you know, us bond guys always think we're smarter than the stock guys. But you usually don't get this kind of inversion this early in the process. You usually get it towards the 
end of the Fed hiking cycle and you get it as the economy is about to fall off a cliff. You know, we've gotten this inversion, a very steep inversion, one of the actually one of the biggest inversions since the um since the uh, 70s and 80s. And it happened very early on, near the very beginning of the Fed's hiking cycle. Um and thus, you know, you had people basically talking transitory because they couldn't quite process the curve inverting so early on, because usually when you get the inversion, you get the recession 14, 16 months later. And clearly we have not gotten that yet. Um, it may be coming. Um, the anomaly is the stock market is still doing pretty well. And by the way, the overall economy is doing pretty well on a nominal basis. Inflation is still reasonably high. It's not nine, but still, you know, four or five, which is still a big number. Um, and, and, you know, so I, 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 something's wrong. The curve is wrong or the stock market's wrong um, or, the, or, or the credit market's wrong. So these things aren't quite adding up. And, and, and so I'm kind of thinking that it's, I'm kind of thinking it's the bond market that's wrong right now. I, I just don't buy into the fact that the Fed's going to be cutting rates um very soon you know right now the 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 um the market is uh is thinking we're going to peak out in july with fed funds near five percent but they they're looking for one or two cuts by december of this year and then like four or five or six cuts by may of next year but that but the fed to do that we i mean unless they've changed their mind you got to get inflation down to i don't know at least a two handle i suppose and i don't see that happening because of the, the, we're a service economy services are labor intensive they are labor and la i don't see labor prices going down anytime soon because we have a small demographic issue of boomers leaving the economy and slamming the door on immigration so i i just i'm troubled to see how we're going to get inflation back towards the fed's target very quickly if that doesn't happen i don't see how the fed cuts rates very quickly and therefore like Something doesn't doesn't fit. Um, you're giving up a lot of yield to go out to the ten or thirty year sector of the market um, uh, versus what you could get buying a six month bill. You know, near five percent. Harley, is, is it um, is it not possible that um, uh, the market is uh, reacting that much differently to the uh, looming difficulties that uh, so many people think they see? And that's so different than how the market was acting in 2007 and 2008. I remember people who were short market. This is I'm now talking this summer and autumn of 2007. And think of all the things that had already happened. Um, uh, John Paulson was well on his way to earning more than the GDP of uh, some not very small nations in the world because this CDO market was cracking. Uh, the Bear Stearns hedge funds had uh, had run into, into trouble. Um, uh, you could see, some of us think, thought we did see uh, the outlines of an oncoming credit uh, problem, big credit problem, yet the stock market held up. I'm not sure what the yield curve was doing then. But the, the yield curve had inverted, I think, in uh, 05 through 06, and the stock market did not peak until October of 2007, and the recession began uh, just December, so very, very, very shortly after the yeah. stock market peaked. Yeah, I don't know. I, so many strange, seemingly impossible things happen that I, I have lost, at the ripe age of 76 and a half, I have lost uh, much of the dogmatism with which I carried myself in the early, say, 40, first 40 years of my career. Um, and I'm wondering about, uh, Harley, what, what I hear, you're, you're, 
how, how certain you seem to be about um, uh, the Fed not really being in a position to act until, um, you know, whenever. Uh, say, say that this banking problem of March is not a one-off and say that the rumbles were some premonitory reckoning uh, of a earthquake, of a serious earthquake to come, that all these banks that did not uh, outfit themselves with your fabulous PFIX ETF, that there's more of this coming. And the Fed to defend uh, the banking system uh, pulls back, makes excuses and said uh, inflation is not a problem, but monetary stability is. Wouldn't that satisfy the, the reasoning of the people who were betting on a, an early uh, Fed uh, um, relapse into money printing? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that satisfy them? Well, you, you have a, two different issues you're thinking about over here. Um, there's a huge difference between today's problem and the financial crisis, you know, 15 years ago. Back then, we had a credit issue. We had mortgages that were likely not going to pay off at par because they've been made at a very high LTV. A property's worth 100000 and they lent maybe ninety or 95000 in some cases, 105000 actually. Um, and the houses went down in value. So if a default occurred where you had a recession, people lost their jobs, you wouldn't get back par. The money was, was poof, gone. Um, that's an issue. Right now, we don't have that problem. I mean, there is a mark-to-market issue with the banks that bought long-term treasuries or mortgage bonds. But the reality is they are getting their money back. They're not going to get back today, but they will get it back. The U.S. Treasury... Um, and Fannie and Freddie are not going to default under any circumstance. Um, so it's a kind of a different problem. So now it's a matter of, you know, it's almost a bookkeeping issue. I mean, the Fed is clearly, you know, underwater right now is be- much worse than, you know, First Republic or someone else. Um, but no one's going to margin call them. Um, so you have a kind of a, of a trust issue here uh, to deal with. So it's, it's, it's a different animal. You have a duration issue now versus a credit issue back then. Um and, and so that I, I I'm not quite as preserved. Um, we have a trust issue right now with with the, with the banks, and the Fed has to go keep people happy that their money is safe. Uh, how they do that is quite a, a little unclear. But um, I'm not quite as worried about the world about about that. I think the government can keep things kind of under control. The money's going to move around as long as we make credit available for these guys to go and ride this thing out. They'll be okay. Now you're going to probably lean into the idea of can they earn a profit now with the curve inverted up here. Well, that's, that's a little more challenging. It depends how much of their debt uh, of the loans they made are fixed versus um, floating. Can I ask you another question about what the bond market is telling us? So you created the Move Index, which measures volatility on the on Treasury securities. In mid-March, March 15th, the Move Index shot up almost 200, which outside of the great financial crisis in 2007, 2008, is the highest it's ever been. It's actually higher than it was when the Treasury market almost shut down in March and April of 2020. It's now shot down to below 120 again. Was that spurred up in volatility telling us that there's more problems under the surface? Is, is there some kind of message about, I, I guess, built up problems that we should be worried about? As much as we want to use the move or the VIX, which is the same idea, but in equities, um, as great predictors, the the reality is they tend to be more um, concurrent notions. I mean, the reality is that short dated options, called a one-month option, tends to trade at an implied volatility about 8 to 12% above the realized actual volatility. And so therefore, you have a lot of people who will constantly sell one-month options and then try to manage that risk um, by doing something like hedging out every day at four o'clock. Try to try and earn that 10% extra insurance premium. 
uh, which is why sizing is more important than entry level, because if you size it too large, I mean, an insurance company, you know, having an earthquake every, you know, 20 years doesn't matter to them. They, you know, they've priced it right and they take a loss as long as they haven't sold too much earthquake insurance. They'll ride the thing out and make profits over the long term. Uh, the move is very similar that way. If you go, as a matter of fact, so the move was, was almost 200 and it's come down to now being about 123, 124, somewhere in there. The one month realized volatility of the move, of the components that make up the move, is right now trading at 124. The three month realized volatility is 155. Um, so vols, realized vols come down. The move is trading right on top of where we've been for the last month. So, and we were moving. I mean, we had two years moving 25 bips a day for a few weeks. When the move got to 200, it was not the wrong price. We were moving that much every day. If you look at the VIX, similar idea. Um, if you look at the VIX right now is, is like 16, 17. But more importantly, if you look at the at the money one month option on the S&P, it's trading at 14% vol, and the realized volatility of S&P for the last month has been 12. So 14 over 12, well, there's your 10, 12, 15% number. If you look at the one month realized vol, it's been about 16. And by the way, sorry, the three month realized been 16, and three month options now trade about 16. So they're kind of following each other. That's kind of how the math works on these things. So the move was not the wrong price. What was crazy was the two-year move from five and change to three and change in the, in the course of a week. The move historically has traded from 80 to 120. That was the old-fashioned rule um, for the first 15 years that we had the move going on from you know, uh, you know, early 90s to mid-2000s. And the move is a very simple animal. You just take it and divide by 16. And that's basically how many basis points the market moves every day. I'm not going to go to the math. Just trust me. Take, take that ball divided by 16. That's how much it's going to move every day. So a move of 100 basically means six basis points a day. Move of 120 is getting towards eight basis points a day. Um, that's a lot. So my old trading rule was you sell 120 and you buy 80. The small detail is that that never worked. It didn't work because when the move got to like 130, 140, um, when you should be selling this insurance, selling optionality, um, you're hiding on your desk crying for your mommy because you don't get to 130, 140 without bad things happening. And when the move's at 80 or 70, it feels like we're never going to move ever again. But that's how the game kind of works. Right now with the move at 120, this is where I see um, value in the market uh, for a few different securities. And I think are, I won't say the wrong price, but I'll say is, as you would describe it, a, a, a businessman's bet, a businessman's risk. Um, and if you'd like, we can talk about those now or later. Yes, please. Now, my background is in mortgages. And I will say that mortgage bonds right now are, I won't say the wrong price, but they certainly are, you know, very cheap. Historically, you will see mortgage bonds. I'm talking Fannie and Freddie and Ginnie Mae, mortgage-backed securities, basically full faith and credit of the U.S. government, second biggest market in the world after the um, U.S. government bond market, you know, trillions of them out there. Uh, they're trading right now about 175 basis points over the 10-year. Traditionally, historically, they trade about 75 over the 10-year. 
So it's 101% higher rate than they usually trade. Why is that? I don't want to get too geeky on you, but the reason why is two. One is volatility, the moves at 120 and change. That's a very high number. But two is the inverted yield curve. And this is where, when I talk about how the yield curve is the wrong price and creates weird opportunities, um, when you get a curve inverted, um, God, I, 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 I hate to go down this path over here. When you get the curve inverted, you get forward interest rates below current interest rates. And what this does is it kind of messes with the embedded option in a mortgage bond or in a muni bond. Most muni bonds are callable. So you'll they'll, they'll issue a 30-year muni that's callable in, in 10 years. So in essence, you've sold a 10-year option, 10-year call option. It's a buy right, basically. And when you get the curve inverted, trust me, it just makes the option more expensive than it should be. And this value of the option plumps up. And that's why you're seeing mortgage bonds trade at such a very high yield. So right now, you could buy a Fannie 5 at about 98 and three quarters um, to yield 5.2%. That's versus a 10-year of like 370, 360. A Fannie 5 and a half is about a par and three quarters. I'm not trying to like those as much, but that, that yields 540. These are huge yields for securities that have basically no credit risk. Um, and I can assure you that if the curve steepens, if you get this curve to flip back positive, these mortgage bonds are going to go up in price. It's, I, I've written about this in one of my commentaries, a deep dive into um, mortgage bonds. It's on my website, connectdmaven.com. But these securities are trading very, very cheap. I, I'm, I'm thinking like three or four points cheap because of the shape of the yield curve. And so if you think the curve's going to get steep again, you like owning mortgage bonds because you want to sell that big embedded call option. Muni bonds, similar idea. This inverted curve is making the option pricing models think it's very likely these bonds will be called quickly as opposed to not. And therefore, it's plumped up the value of these of this embedded call option. And so right now, I, I, I pulled up a bond today. I, I'll get in trouble for saying this. Um, California Muni, double A minus, general bond, QSIP 13063 DVP4, DPV4. That sounds your license plate number, Arlene. It does sound like it. Um, this bond is a 21-year bond, callable in six years. It's a 4% coupon trading basically at par. So you could live in California where your tax bracket is basically 50% and get a 4% bond. So the equivalent yield is what, eight? I mean, 8% yield on, I would call it very low risk security. We're talking equity yields, aren't we? Like what is the long-term equity return? Seven, eight, 9% over you know decades? I can get 8% equivalent, you know, um, with the risk that California goes bankrupt. And my view is California goes bankrupt. I got bigger things to worry about, like owning guns in Kansas Tuna. Um, and the reason why this bond's trading such a very high yield is because of the inverted yield curve. No one else looks at these things, but it's the inverted yield curve and the high volatility that's taking that 
that six-year option and exploding it in price. So um, I, I don't want to go down the path too much of, of, of geeky math, but I can assure you mortgage bonds and callable muni bonds, high-quality bonds, are trading extraordinarily cheap because of the inverted curve. And if you want to make a bet on the curve inverting, you buy those securities as opposed to um, um, you know, tra tra trade trading, you know, front end euros. So you have to move to California, do you? Uh, New York bonds uh, also trade at a pretty um, yeah. nice well, return. Least, also, move, moving vans are available to move to California, right? There are none available to move from California. That's where. <laughs> partly, let me let me ask you about a kind of a mortgage bond with credit risk attached. That is the commercial mortgage backed security, CMBS. And what is interesting about them to me is that uh, commercial real estate is, you know, if anything is lining up to uh, bear some um, reasonable resemblance to the difficulties that uh, surrounded us in 2007 and 9, it might be the commercial real estate market. You know, there's all sorts of signs out there of, of credit troubles and, uh, and structural problems. Now, what what is the opportunity, if indeed this is something you cover, what's the opportunity in CMBS? What are the risks? Do they resemble the opportunities and risks in regular MBS, or is there an entirely different animal? Oh, totally different. I mean, look, no bad bonds, just bad prices. So there is a price where a commercial mortgage bond is a fine idea. That is not my, the, the pool I swim in, because that is pure credit risk. If you're not doing, if you don't have someone doing the heavy lifting on, on, on the credit of the underlying buildings in a commercial mortgage bond, I wouldn't touch them. That is credit risk. Remember, we have duration risk. We have credit risk. We have convexity risk. I think convexity risk right now is probably the wrong price where you could sell these big options in, in mortgage bonds or muni bonds. CMBS is a credit risk. I do not favor credit risk uh, for two reasons. One, the returns is not that fancy. I mean, you look at the uh, investment grade five-year credit is about 75 basis points over, over the benchmark. So you get that by looking at CDX, so your, 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 your default swaps. 75 basis points is about the long-term average uh, on this stuff. So I'm getting average for what the bond market says is we're about to go into nuclear winter, right? A curve this inverted is saying we're going to a hard recession, hard landing. Um, if I'm going to go take credit risk where the bond market is saying watch out ahead, I'm not taking average, man. I'm getting more than average. Junk bonds are 465 right now. Average is 400. That's a little better. But once again, I don't like credit risk here. I don't think you're getting paid enough for what's happening and what could be happening in the market. Unless I say the bond market is totally wrong, which I'm not willing to, I won't dismiss it. I'll just say I'm a little suspect of it. Um, that, 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 that's a hard trade. The trend do like better is um, I like owning this front end at, um, you know, near, you know, four and change five. I think the Fed has one more hike and they're done. I think they're done for a long time. And then we might get the recession next year. The reason why people are are are, um, are buying these longer days, ten-year and thirty-year bonds, is they want the price action. A ten-year bond moves eight points for every one yield percent change. So from four to three or four to five, ten years will move eight points. A two-year bond will only move two points, or actually a little less than that. People are buying these ten-year and thirty-year bonds at a lower yield than two years. Because they want the price action. They want the capital gain if rates go down. 
The problem with a two-year is you only get the return, the four or five percent return for one to two years. Um, and if rates go down a lot, you don't make that much money on it. That's why you get an inverted curve. People try to they want to get the capital gain uh, and sacrifice a little bit of current yield. This is where we came up with a really, really clever product. Um, TUA. What we do here is we offer the two-year yield, more or less, we lever it five to one. We take futures contracts and put it into an ETF. This is very new. Um, and um, if rates go down, this thing will move basically eight points. So you could you have a two, you're getting the two-year yield area with the price action of a 10-year. It, it's one of our newest products, and I will say it's one of our, our most clever products. And I mean the real killer ticket is you buy this TUA with PIFIX. Because then you got this, you got, then you're long and you lever it. And you go, <laughs> you lever it. <laughs> hey, Harley, whenever I hear the words clever and finance together, my middle-class heart fails. It always seems to come out badly. Except if you're long the option. Usually okay. when you're shown a clever idea, it involves yeah. you selling convexity, selling ah, optionality, okay. selling the insurance, getting into a lose three, make two. I associate the most clever ideas with the people at the Fed. Hey, um, Evan wants to ask you something, but I am going to intervene with this one more, Harley. This was a kind of a, a macro schmacro thing, but uh, we've been talking about the yield curve as a leading indicator of a recession and everyone knows about that. But it seems to me that when you get the inverted curve lining up with a record setting collapse in the rate of growth of the money supply, you are looking, I mean, wouldn't you feel silly if you were betting against recession when money supply growth was cratering and the curve was inverted? Um, look, the historical data indicates that things bad things are going to happen to good markets. Um, money supply coming down. I mean, I'm in Chicago. I'm a monetarist. I said we we're going to get inflation, you know, two, three years ago when they started pumping money in the system. Uh, and, and in theory, you know, things should tighten up when, when they uh, pull the money uh, out of the system. And the inverted curve is, is probably going to be right. Um, I suppose. I mean, so yeah, I, 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 I'm on board with that. I think it's really more, it's a, it's a question of timing, but also a question of, of um, looking at nominal numbers as opposed to real numbers. Like we could get a negative recession, negative real growth, but if we have positive five inflation, you're still talking about, you know, real, I'm talking about numbers getting bigger. Um, right. And, and, and the stock market looks at numbers getting bigger, uh, not real numbers. So, uh, Harley, <clears throat> you said that um, what really causes people to blow up is when they sell options, when they sell insurance. In the long period of low interest rates, we had a lot of financial engineering. Um, to take one example, in Taiwan, it's fairly popular to sell these Formosa bonds where uh, underlying issuers would buy something like a treasury or a corporate bond, but to spruce up the yield, they'd sell very, very long-term interest rate options in order to boost it. Now, one of the ironies to me is, What's blown up so far this cycle has been kind of just ordinary banks who bought treasuries at too low yields. And when the rates increased, they suddenly were, you know, had no net worth. Why We have not seen, however, kind of a blow up in Wall Street. We've not seen any of these options cause chaos. Were they a damp squib? Are they dry powder that's yet to explode? Is all the damage going to be caused by just people who bought normal treasuries on a levered portfolio? Um, well... In the good old days, and again now, 
Wall Street is in the moving business, not the storage business. It's our job to buy it and kick it on out. Um, the uh, GFC was from the, from the Wall Street side was when a few people had the clever idea to actually um, change sides on the, uh, on the in the casino and go from being the dealer to being the player. Um, the Wall Street firms, when they started buying CDOs, was was a debacle. I mean, our job is not to own those things. Our job is to go and buy them and sell them, which we do now because, I mean, we needed the Volcker rule to go enforce it. Um, but common sense is you don't, um, you know, if, if your job is to is, is to be the the, the, the the a pipeline, the transmission mechanism. You know, Blankfein was 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 not quite wrong when he said we're doing God's work because we're not, but we are doing a valuable service. We are a financial economy, and someone needs to go and man the pipes to move the money from people who have it to people who need it. Wall Street's job is to go and be the pipelines that move the money between you know people who have capital, people who need capital. And and we, and we got paid a, a a fair wage to go and do that. Where we got in trouble was when we started going and 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 playing the game ourselves. I mean, Merrill Lynch bought forty five billion CDOs on I don't know forty billion of capital. I mean, it's utterly insane. We 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 blew ourselves up. Yeah. Well, on that uh, explosive note, Harley, I want to thank you for being with us. What a pleasure. And um, uh, as I say, do stop by on October 3rd because there's a slot available for you, Harley. You're going to tell us all about convexity and all about the opportunities that by then will have surfaced and maybe a surprise or two that we cannot even imagine now. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. We're to, uh, is that bond of the day, Harley? Is that still available or is that gone now? Oh, it's still there. Okay. <laughs> thank you, Evan. Thank you, Henry. And thank you, listeners. Talk soon. It's Jim Grant on behalf of Grant's Interest Rate Observer. Mm-hmm.